From KUOW in Seattle, you're listening to How's Your Day, telling you a story that you don't know from a day we all remember. Today's date is February 1st, 2003. My fellow Americans, this day has brought terrible news and great sadness to our country. At 9 o'clock this morning, Mission Control in Houston lost contact with our space shuttle Columbia. A short time later, debris was seen falling from the skies above Texas. The Columbia's lost. There are no survivors. My thoughts are still on what happened this morning. My thoughts are on seven families, children, spouses, extended family. My thoughts are on their grief. My thoughts are on what we missed, what I missed to allow this to happen. going to be a difficult day for all of us. I was 29, like just a few months away from turning 30. I worked as a radio host at a radio station up in Seattle. 94.9 KUOW Seattle. I'm Megan Sukies. It was early morning very early morning, like six in the morning. And I was at home and the phone rang. Daddy had an accident. Oh my God, it's here. It's the moment. This is really happening. So I hung up the phone with my sister and I called my boss to tell him that I wasn't going to be there. I say, hey, are, are you busy? He said, uh, yeah, I'm a little busy, Megan. I don't know if you've heard, but the space shuttle Columbia just exploded. No, I, I didn't hear. I just heard that my dad is dying and I need to go home to fly home and see my dad, what was left of him. I'm sure you understand how, diffi how difficult a time this is for us right now. We're devastated. And so we go into the hospital, and this hospital in Fayetteville is a real old one. Fayetteville's a smaller town, it's, and on the lower floors, you can feel how old it is. Everything's yellowed and dusty and creaky and smells like decades of hospital. And I can see my dad through the glass, and, uh, and they've got the TVs on in his room. NASA's Johnson Space Center, let's listen to a more technical briefing. And the TVs are on CNN, and you can see all the news going on, still the coverage about the space shuttle explosion. And then there's my dad not watching it, because he's, he's, for all intents and purposes, he's dead. And I felt like I couldn't breathe. It felt like there was no oxygen in the room. And I wanted nothing more than to tell stories about him, to talk with him, to be able to say, how sad is this? Can you believe this is really going on? 
are, are we all heartbroken? But nothing. You couldn't say anything. That, that was kind of the, the rule of the family. Is we're not going to say anything. And to see him so close to death, part of me felt like, now I will finally be able to grieve his life. It's not just here that I'm losing him. I lost him a while ago. And this is just the final place where we can finally say for real, it's over. I thought my dad was Elvis and Paul Newman. I thought my dad was a movie star. They were beautiful Americans. My mom was voted best looking in high school and she was a debutante. And my dad was on the football team and he was in his fraternity at Carolina. He was tall. He was good looking. He was smart. He was funny. I have all of their letters that they wrote to each other when my dad was in flight school. And he tells the funniest jokes and he is so insightful. There's one where he said, if aliens were to invade the earth, I think they should do it on a Sunday evening because everyone would be too depressed to fight back. I miss you so. And I fell in love with him reading these letters. He would come swooshing into the room, shaved clean, bathed in cologne, change jingling in his pockets, a freshly lit Paul Mall, and he'd pick me up and squeeze me so hard my ribs would almost break. And I just couldn't imagine. I felt sorry for everybody else to not have a dad like mine. The fact that my father had been a fighter pilot was one of the most defining things of his life. And he would say that. He would say, I was a fighter pilot. As though that was the beginning, middle, and end. Nothing else need be said. My name is Elbert. I was a fighter pilot. And even at the end, as he was declining, he would wear his wings and he all of that was so important to him for me growing up I felt like well as his daughter I will simply carry on this tradition my grandfather had been on ships in World War II in the Navy my father had been a fighter pilot I will take the next step I will be an astronaut when I was just after my sixth grade summer of my sixth grade year I actually went to space camp and my dad drove me down there. We took all the mountain roads, which made it feel like space camp was a million miles away because we took these little squirrely roads through Brevard, North Carolina and down through Tennessee. He would pull out the maps when we'd go anywhere to find the most squirrely path to get there. That meant something to him to take the back roads. I thought for a long time that it was just that he loved an adventure. He did love an adventure. And the other thing my dad loved to do while he drove was drink, and he always had his solo cup of bourbon on ice as he would drive. What to you is the coolest, most amazing thing about being in space? Um, the coolest thing for me is the experience of uh, floating, not feeling my weight, and uh, by a window uh, just after sunset. 
and watch uh, the stars in the big black dome of the sky as the earth moves underneath. Um, I somehow try to find 10, 15 minutes every day to do that. Uh, I keep postponing or try to continue to postpone my meal so I can do that. And it's kind of fun. We went to the huge water tank where they simulate zero gravity. And we got to try on the spacesuits, which were huge and bulky. My photo has me holding the helmet because as soon as they put the helmet on, I was so claustrophobic. It's big and it seals in, and you really do feel like you are completely cut off from everything inside that spacesuit. And it was putting on that spacesuit that I remember thinking, I don't think I'm going to do this. This is not what I thought it would be. Despite the fact that I wasn't crazy about being an astronaut for a career, I was still excited for my dad to come and pick me up from camp because there was an award ceremony at the end, and I got an award for being commander. I wanted him to see that I was able to do that, and I had I fantasized in my mind, like, the night before, like, oh, and Daddy's going to show up, and I'm going to go up there, and I'm going to get my little certificate, and I'm going to see him just, like, beaming with pride. This is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. And the next day comes, and it's before the award ceremony, the closing. I look out. I don't see my dad. I thought, well, maybe, maybe he's just, maybe he's parking or something. The ceremony goes through. I go up to get, and everybody's getting some kind of award. Uh, everybody's getting some kind of certificate. I go up to get mine. I look. I smile. Ah, I'm waiting to hear, like, go, Megan. I thought for sure my dad would, like, yell or something. He's not out there. And I go back and I get my luggage and I'm waiting for him to come running in and saying, oh, I'm sorry, but he doesn't come in. I carry my luggage. A counselor helps me to the place where everybody's waiting to go. And I'm looking and my dad's not there. And more people go. And more people go until everybody's gone. And it's just me with a counselor. It was maybe another, uh, you know, I don't know, like two years it felt like. It was, it was maybe another hour when finally my dad comes speeding up in his little convertible Fiat, sunburn on his face, his aviator glasses, his cigarette, his hair blown back. Ah, honey, I'm so sorry I got stuck in traffic by Atlanta. Come on, let's go. And that was it. If he didn't want to meet the counselor, he didn't want to see anything, let's get the hell out of here, I'm sick of this drive. When my dad got his first DUI, it was a wake-up call that things were really bad, that this had progressed from Papa's delicate condition to things are really going to get worse from here. We're not pulling out of this. We lived in Fayetteville. It was a small town. Everybody knew everybody. And so Daddy knew everybody in town. And I think he got some dispensations because of that. And I came to resent that. I came to resent all the people who tried to help my dad by getting him out of trouble because it ended up just keeping him locked in this loop because he was never getting any consequences. And he could never get the help. In the beginning, we talked about alcoholism. My father was an alcoholic. 
I believe after the first relapse, he went back uh, into treatment, and that was when he was diagnosed as bipolar. My dad would call sometimes, and he would be in a panic that I listened to him and I hear what he said. And he would say, I'm clear, I'm clear right now, you've got to hear me. And just moments would come where he would feel like himself again. He would remember his relationships. He would remember how to talk to people. And when that would come, he would be desperate to tell us what he could say while he felt like he could still be himself. And in the end, at that very end, he was cycling very rapidly. He would drink quarts of alcohol in a day and then try and stop suddenly. And then, of course, if you've had that much alcohol, if you're that deeply addicted, you're going to have DTs. And we think that's maybe what happened that got him in the hospital for that final time. We think maybe he was falling down with seizures from quitting drinking that fast. Time and time again, he would let me down. He would embarrass us. He would be cruel. But I couldn't believe that that was really him. I keep thinking how hard it is to reconcile the beauty of the sky, the beautiful crystal blue sky over the state of Texas with that white, thin white vapor trail, how hard it is to reconcile that with the awful thing that happened. And it, again, it's... The headstone stretched across the sky of the shuttle, the smoke and vapor trails. In terms of taking my dad off of life support, we all went down to this private room, which was below the ICU level, so down into the old, archaic lower levels of the hospital where everything is creaky and smelly and hot. And this teeny tiny little yellowed room, my sisters and I waited there, and then they finally, they wheeled him in. So I'm watching the clock to time his breaths, and I'm thinking this is going to be something I'll do for days. But as I start timing his breaths, I realize they're getting slower right now. And it had only been about 45 minutes since they'd taken him off life support. And I said my, to my younger sister, I think this is happening right now. And so she said, okay, I'll call his sister and I'll call our other sister and just see if they're willing to come. And it was a relief to watch the clock because now I had a job. Now I had something that I could be doing rather than just sitting there. And I'm watching, and it's 20 seconds between his breaths. Then it's 23 seconds between his breaths. And it's 27 seconds between his breaths. And we all hold hands and we stand around the bed. <laughs> and I'm watching the clock. And I'm saying, it's been 40 seconds. But then it'd be 45 seconds. Everything exists in his chest, watching it rise and fall. 
And then it's 50 seconds. It's been a minute and a half. It's been a minute and 45 seconds. I said, I think he's really gone. And just then, the door opens, and a woman peeks her head through. And at first, I thought it was maybe a nurse, but it wasn't. It was just some random stranger who said, excuse me, ladies, I was down the hall with a relative of mine who is sick when the Lord called to me. And he said, I was supposed to come down here and be with you. I just came in. Can we all pray together? The Lord has asked me to come and pray with you. We, we could talk about the day, just getting through the day with your loved ones and friends and prayers and to know that they're in the hands of God, that their loved ones. And so we all let good Southern women smile and say, okay, all right. And so she joins us and she takes our hands and she begins to pray. God's put out his hand, holds them. And I would want God to hold them close. I was raised in the Methodist church where you don't even clap. This woman was clearly from a far more spirited church because she begins, oh Lord, oh Lord Jesus, we are here with your son. And she's so loud. And she gives this passionate prayer, not for my dad, but for us, for us to know that he was being taken to a better place. It's, um, it's, it's, it's so difficult and it's such a tragedy. And it's so unfair that it happened. But the world. And don't the world. let them be sad. Don't let them grieve for this, your son because they know that he is in a better place. What they were living for and what their mission was all about, then that dream will see them through. His wishes were to be cremated, and his mother did not get him a gravestone in the family plot. I don't know why she never told us. And we went out there to see his father's grave after he died. And when we went there, we saw that my father, before he died, had come out there and super glued his navy wings onto his... He had super glued his navy wings onto his father's gravestone. He just wanted approval like all of us. He wanted his dad to love him. And I felt really glad that he was able to be free of a lot of pain that he had felt. And I do, I do think of him as who he was. Him dying was a freedom because I could finally think of him in that best way. I could stop grieving the long decline and I could gather up the memories of who he had been. He was tall, he was good looking, he was smart. He was My name is Elbert. I was a fighter pilot. Early path to get there. That meant something to him to take the back roads. Shaved clean, bathed in cologne, changed, jingling in his if pockets. If aliens were to invade the earth, 
I think they should do it on a Sunday evening because everyone would be too depressed to fight back. I miss you so. How's Your Day is made by Arwen Nix and Shane Mailing. Our editor is Jim Gates. Our producer is Whitney Henry Lester. Our music is by Jen Champion. Special thanks to Megan Sukis. You can tell us a story that we don't know from a day everyone remembers. Our email is howsyourday at kuow.org. Support for How's Your Day comes from KUOW listeners, like you.